It's the end of the quarter, and I'm going to guess that you had some goals at the beginning of the year, and I'm also going to guess that you've made some serious progress towards those goals. But here's a third guess. Maybe not as much as you wanted, or maybe you made some progress on one goal, but not another. Maybe, in fact, you're feeling a little stuck on a goal. If you are, that's totally normal, and in fact, it's fair to say that every business owner faces the situation where they get stuck on a goal from time to time. And the only real question is, what are you going to do about it? Hi, I'm Joel Miller, Chief Product Officer here at Full Focus. And today on the Business Accelerator Podcast, we are going to talk about what happens when you get stuck, whether that's on a goal or some other initiative in your life. How do you frame that up? How do you respond? Because as we'll see, there are some questions you can ask yourself to help you get unstuck. And there's also a real cost for what you might call swiping. When you feel frustrated or discouraged, overwhelmed, you might just swipe, make the thing go away. That's not something you want to do. There are some real consequences to that. We're going to get into all of that today. First, actually, we are going to have a conversation with Michael Hyatt, our founder, Megan Hyatt Miller, our CEO, and they are going to talk about five questions that you can ask to help yourself get unstuck. So if you are facing a goal that you just can't seem to make progress on, if you're mired down in the middle of a project, these are five questions you can ask to help you reset and get going again. Then we're going to talk with Tim Van De Hey. He's the co-author of the new book, Swipe, the science behind why we don't finish what we start. And let me tell you right now, we're at the end of the first quarter. There's a lot of year left. So if you are facing a goal that you're not making progress on, you don't want to fall prey to something as simple as the kinds of things that cause people to swipe, that cause people to bail all the time. That's not the conclusion to the story you want to tell about your business. What you want to do is achieve the goals that you've set out for yourself. And the conversations that we're going to have today with Michael and Megan and Tim Vandehey, these conversations are going to help you get the progress you want to achieve your goals. All right, Ken, do you know what's happening right now? No, I have no idea. (laughs) Well, first of all, it's your favorite time of year, finally. Yes! We can act, okay, like I give approval for us to actually listen to Christmas music now that Thanksgiving's over. Jingle bells, jingle. Yes. Uh, It's our holiday sale here at Full Focus. Oh, And we have some really awesome deals going on, especially if for some reason you missed out on our Black Friday deals. This is a great time to get your planners and everything for the new year. And so we have got uh, some awesome deals. So we've got 10% off site-wide. We've got where you can get a free um, Your Best Year Ever vinyl sticker pack for any new planner subscription that you sign up for. So these are great to put on things like your Stanley mug. Wow, you already put them on your Stanley mug? And if if you got them on Black Friday... These are different. These are these are going to be new for the new year, uh, but they're great for that. You can also put them on your planner. You can put them on your computer, wherever you want them. But they're great. great. They're great stickers. We're also doing 25% off courses. Let's go. So specifically, we've been talking a lot about our goal setting course, um, and this is going to be $75 off, and you get a free ticket to your best year ever live with your purchase. So you definitely don't. Huge. It's like a crazy, crazy, crazy deal. So you don't want to miss out on that. And your favorite thing, which is our certification program, we're doing $800 off of it. And this is a fantastic time of year to get in. Um, we are actually going to be doing a beta group for our new digital planner. Yes, it's going to be fantastic. crazy exciting. So anyways, go to fullfocusstore.com now. Shop our holiday sale. Make sure to use the code HOLIDAY10 to get all these deals and more. There's a lot of components to the Business Accelerator Coaching Program. We've got quarterly group coaching intensives in which one of our presenters walks our clients through 
a key tool or a framework that they can use to make progress on their goals. But sometimes there are real, very situationally specific, business-specific problems that clients are facing, and we have one-on-one coaches for that. So when a one-on-one coach is working with one of our clients, they will run into situations where the client possibly is stuck. And Michael and Megan are, in this conversation, going to talk through five of the questions that one of our one-on-one coaches might use with a client to help them get unstuck. These relate back, by the way, to Michael and Megan's book, Mind Your Mindset. And that's a great place to start if you want to get a sense of how to understand how reframing a problem might actually help get you out of it. But what they're going to do in this conversation is walk you through the particulars of these questions so you understand what's happening in your own mind that's keeping you stuck and how simply asking and answering some questions can loosen up the bricks and enable you to reassemble the situation you're facing better to your advantage. I was at a conference one time where I heard my good friend, Dan Miller, author of 48 Days to the Work You Love, tell a story about growing up Mennonite. And I I can't tell it as well as he told it, because obviously I didn't live it, but I'm going to do the best I can, but it had a profound impact on me. So he said, imagine growing up in a religiously oppressive community where you didn't have any modern technology, you didn't have any modern media. This uh, community was very restrictive. You know, we could hardly go outside the bounds of our own community. We were Mennonite. All our friends were Mennonite. It was a very closed community. And it, and it just felt like there weren't that many opportunities to really grow. Or I grew up in this amazing close-knit community where we weren't distracted by technology. We weren't distracted by the media. We had these amazing conversations with our family over dinner. Our family was always available to help other families who were trying to do a project. And the same for them with us. And because I grew up in that kind of community, I felt like it prepared me for the world I have to live in now. So two different stories, one disempowering, one negative, one very empowering, one very positive, but the same set of facts. And it's the first time I realized that there's a difference between the facts and then the story we tell ourselves about the facts. The first one is not optional. You're given a fact set. You know, you have your background, you have your experience, whatever it is. But the story you tell yourself is optional. You could tell multiple narratives on the same fact set, but the key is, is what's the one that's going to get you unstuck? So if you're ever in a situation in your business or your personal life where you just feel stuck, maybe it's the story you're telling yourself that's keeping you stuck. And in this episode, Megan and I want to talk about five questions that you can ask to get unstuck. And why do you want to get unstuck? I mean, let's let's just think about it for a second. If your story is working, then great. You know, if it's not causing problems, but if you're trying to generate better ideas, better strategies, better results, then like we talk about in Mind Your Mindset, you really need a better story because our stories are what inform the actions we take. It's like our brain is biased toward making that story um, continue to be true, right? Or, Or come to life, either one. And so if we want better results, we have to tell better stories that are going to lead to better actions that are going to ultimately lead to better results. But the question is, how do you do that? How do you start to unravel this stuff so that um, you can externalize your thinking and really take a hold of the agency that you have to tell something better? So the first question that you can ask yourself is, what are the facts of the situation? Now, this might seem overly simple or like, yeah, of course. I mean, they're the facts, you know, but here's the thing. We sometimes conflate the facts and our interpretation of the facts. And in reality, those are two separate things. If you think of the facts, these are things that would be on a police report. 
you know, they had dinner at 6 p.m. and then they went to a kid's basketball practice and then they came home and did homework. I mean, these are usually not that exciting. Um, they're just very kind of dry without a lot of emotions. And then there's what that means. You know, that means that meant that they left the other kids at home all by themselves and they were terrified. You know, that would be, uh, you know, one interpretation of those facts or they left the other kids at home and they were able to get all of their homework done. You know, same set of facts, totally different interpretation of the facts. And so going through a process of literally writing down what are the facts that other people could prove, demonstrate, read about, etc., is really the first question to ask yourself if you're finding yourself stuck. I think this is important because we often refer to our story or think of our story as the truth of the yeah. situation. And and I don't think it quite rises to the level of the truth. You know, when you when you agree on the same fact set, you know, that's more like the truth. But the interpretations that we put together or the meaning that we ascribe to that set of facts, you know, could be more or less accurate, but it's not the truth. And the problem is when we label it as the truth, like this is what happened to me when I was a kid or in Dan Miller's situation, you know, that, uh, that, he, that he grew up in a repressive religious background. If he equates that with the truth, you can't question the truth. Mm-hmm. It just is. And you stay stuck. But once you open yourself up to the possibility that the story is merely an interpretation of what happened, and there are alternative interpretations, now all of a sudden you're in the realm of possibility. Maybe there's something I could tell myself. Maybe there's a way to assemble these facts in a way that's far more empowering and and better serves what it is I'm trying to create in the world and where I want to go as an individual. What's interesting about this is that even the facts are a little bit debatable because the the brain research said that says that a lot of our memories are questionable. Mm-hmm. You know, what we remember as the facts can even be different from person to person. This is how you end up in a situation where you know, all the kids from the same family have different different memories of that vacation or the way their parents handled that situation or this other situation. And so even that, there can be a little bit of wiggle room with, but then when you layer on top of it the interpretation, that's when it becomes so subjective. And I think one of the things we want to be mindful of is we're living in a time where we hear a lot of you know, just live your truth. And this is my truth and all of that. And insofar as that's helpful for you, you know, knock yourself out. However, this can actually be one of the reasons that we get stuck is because we apply that truth label to things that are actually just our interpretation. And we can lock ourselves up in our own stories and not even realize it. You know, it's like we're in a prison of our own making and they're very self-limiting. So when you find yourself or you hear other people saying, this is my truth or, you know, that's that's just what, you know, what I experienced or whatever, just realize that you have some control over that. You don't have to be stuck in that if it's not serving you and getting the results that you want. That leads us to our second question, which is, is my interpretation valid? So you want to ask yourself, do I have all the facts? Because I'll tell you what, as a business owner and a CEO, more times than I could count, Dad, you and I have talked about this. It's like somebody will come to you with their side of the story and it will be so compelling and you'll just be outraged or the decision that you need to make is so clear until you talk to the next person. And then you realize, oh, shoot, I should have talked to more people because there's this whole other side of the story or they didn't have the benefit of this information. And as a result, their interpretation was really limited or they had a really bad day. Something was happening with one of their kids or they're taking care of an aging parent. And as a result, they didn't sleep the night before and that caused them to be really negative or forget this other thing. And and then the interpretation is invalid. So gosh, making sure you have all the facts and making sure you really understand the facts is critical to getting yourself unstuck. So this happened literally just this last week. Gail asked me to text someone to see if I could get together with them because they were going through a difficult time and she thought I could be an encouragement. And so I finally came back to her proactively and I said, you know, I've left a voicemail for him and I texted him and he hasn't responded. And honestly, I think there might be some mental illness there. 
There's just something that's off. He's just not quite right. And she said, wow, that does not sound like him. She, and then she had the, the intuition. She said, can I see the phone number that you've been sending this to? Well, sure oh, enough, no. I had the wrong phone number. So I had made up an entire story based on bad facts. And so my interpretation wow. was invalid because part of the story was invalid. But that's how quickly we get to stories and why they've got to be interrogated, like we talk about in our, our new book, Mind Your Mindset. You can't just assume that the interpretation is the truth. It might be part of the truth. It may have no relationship to the truth. And so we've got to be, again, hope, hold these conclusions with open hands and, and be willing to query them. Well, and what we know about the brain is that it likes to know. It would rather know than not know, even if that knowing is wrong. You know, it it places a high priority on certainty. And so um, in the absence of all the facts or another interpretation, like uh, the fact that you had the wrong phone number but didn't realize it, it's going to create a narrative for you because it doesn't like to be without an interpretation, um, which should make us all a little bit suspect of those stories that are rattling around in our head that feel so true. So the third question that you can ask to get yourself unstuck is, what do I assume to be true about these facts? And this is really getting at your subjective interpretation. The, actually, these next two questions are getting at your subjective interpretation of the facts that we've just identified in your situation. And assumptions are going to color how you see the facts. Um, so one of the things you can ask yourself is, is there warrant for those assumptions? Does it, does it make sense? Is it necessary? Do you really have all the facts that you would need to ultimately come to that conclusion? And would somebody else with a different set of assumptions, with a different context, would they see it differently or would they see it the same? Because one of the things that um, I've noticed here when we're thinking about facts is that you're, you're almost looking for crowdsourcing. You know, if other people would see it pretty much the same way, if you handed them the police report of those facts and they would come to the same conclusion, you know, that person uh, was the victim of a, a hit and run accident or that person was the victim of, uh, you know, a, a pickpocketing incident. If they would come to that conclusion, then that makes it a little bit more likely to be valid. But if they would say, well, I'm not really sure that that happened. I actually think you could read those those same set of facts in the police report. And it, it looks like that guy sideswiped the other guy. It, was, it wasn't the guy that we thought that did it. You know, that that's what you're kind of looking to shake loose here with regard to these assumptions. We have a coaching client that I was having a conversation with a couple weeks ago. And he had come to the conclusion that there was one of his teammates that needed to go. And he didn't feel like he could remediate her work, that she could improve. And he'd come to the conclusion, and this was the language he used with me, he said, she's a train wreck. Mm. And I said, well, tell me how you came to that conclusion. And he began to describe this train wreck of a person who, after I heard it, I said, well, it sounds to me like she had a bad day. Mm. And he came to this conclusion, and it was coloring every other fact that was true about her. So, so much so that he was ignoring any facts that contradicted that narrative. Confirmation bias. Exactly right. And this is what happens to us and why it's so scary. We literally won't even notice the evidence or the facts that contradict the conclusion we've come to. Mm -hmm. And that's why we've got to be very careful about those conclusions, those in interpretations. And so he he literally was, the, the whole purpose of his conversation with me was I need to let her go because after all, she's a train wreck. I need to let her go. And I just need to know, you know, what's the best way to do that with the least amount of damage to her organization or to her. And I still care about her, but she's got to go. And so as I began to query it and begin to challenge him, it at least opened him to the possibility that maybe she was valuable. Maybe she was in the wrong role and she had a bad day. Well, long story short, in his mind, she completely turned around. Wow. Uh, she's doing great now. They have a great relationship. He, he, he literally promoted her. And so she's got a very important role on the team, but he was ready to fire her until 
he changed the story. And sometimes that's all it takes. This is one of the reasons it's important as a boss to document issues with employees. Like if you're thinking you have performance issues or conduct issues that are not incredibly egregious, but if there are um, things that over a period of time you would be documenting, it's helpful to document because then you're able to look at the facts objectively and you're able to get outside input. You know, oftentimes when you're trying to make a decision about a termination, you would involve an attorney. You might involve, um, you know, that, well, not might, you would. You would involve that person's supervisor. You would probably have an HR person. You, you kind of want to triangulate your assumptions against those of others with a different set of assumptions while they're looking at the facts and see if you're all coming to the same conclusion. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking for kind of a, a measure of almost consensus before you just jump out there because it could it could be like in that story, it could be that you had a bad day or it could be that that, that person reminded you of someone from your past who you really had a difficult or unpleasant relationship with that's coloring the assumptions that you're making. Yeah, I was about to pick a fight with you because when you talked about documenting it, I thought, oh my gosh, that's the problem because I'm only going to document the evidence that's congruent with my story about that person. Yeah, that's true. And then when that's you a risk. triangulate, I thought, oh, okay, now I don't have to pick a fight with her. That's right. <laughs> and you're and a little that's, disappointed. That's right. You need, you need multiple perspectives yeah. in order to get at the truth. But those interpretations are really powerful and that leads us to the fourth question, which is, what do I want to be true? This is a scary one, because sometimes the thing that, that we want to be true will also drive the evidence that we consider relevant. This, this is why you've got, um, in our political system right now, people yelling at each other, not listening to one another, because each side, I don't care which partisan perspective you take, you're absolutely convinced that your guy is the hero and the other person's guy is not the hero. And it's only because you're discounting the evidence that proves your guy's a jerk too. And you're only looking for the evidence that proves that uh, your guy is the hero you think that he is. And so both sides are not looking at the evidence in an objective way. Because if we were honest, we'd say, you know, there are pluses and minuses to everybody. Nobody's perfect. That doesn't mean we can't have differences over policy or whatever, but it's gotten a lot more than that in recent years. I think the bottom line is that what we want changes what we see. Yeah. And we need to be self-aware of that. And again, bring in other people sometimes to this conversation to check our biases, because otherwise those become unconscious. And we certainly talk about this a lot with uh, issues of race, for example, and we we kind of hear a lot about that. But the but the truth is, we have bias in all sorts of areas. Things we want, things we understand, outcomes that we're committed to that we're not even aware of that are driving how we see the world. It's like putting on a pair of glasses that has a, a tint to it. You know, everything you see is going to have that color. And unless you take the glasses off, or you have other people that say, "Oh well." I know you're seeing everything with a purple tint to it, but my glasses are green, you know? And then you're like, oh, interesting. Maybe it's the glasses and not the world, you know? That really helps to kind of shake these things loose from each other so you can understand what's the facts, what are the facts, and then what's the story I'm telling about the facts. Have you ever had the experience where you bought something and then you went and read the reviews? Yes. It's like, I made this commitment, I bought this thing, and now I'm looking for evidence that confirms yeah. that I made the right decision. Yeah. And and some people call that, you know, post-purchase confirmation. Uh-huh. But it's it's why if you're in sales or in business, why it's important to reassure people that they've made the right decision. Mm-hmm. First of all, if they've made the decision, if they have invested money, they're going to tend, this is a little hack, they're going to tend to want to confirm that they made the right decision. Yeah. So serve them up some facts that'll confirm it. I love that. I'm like taking mental notes right now. Um <laughs> What what I thought you were going to say is when you buy something and then you happen to go read the reviews like you didn't do it in advance and they're negative. And even though your experience of the product has been positive, now that you've read the negative reviews, you're like, maybe this thing actually, you know, it's garbage, even though like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's about to break or maybe it's not as great as I thought. And then you just go through this whole thing. And before you know it, you're returning the item and nothing has happened that's bad, except that, you know, you're you're feeling connected to other people's negative experiences. 
and you don't even want to have your own singular experience. Um, Gail and I have this ongoing argument. It's not, that's probably too strong a word, but she loves before we watch anything to go look at Rotten Tomatoes and see what it was rated. Right. And I just go, how often does your experience of a movie correspond with what the critics think? And in fact, I'm almost to the place where if the critics pan it, that probably means I'm going to love it. But there's often <laughs> a disparity between what the critics say and what the people say. And fortunately, Rot- Rotten Tomatoes has both of those. But I just kind of look at the story and I either watch it and it ends up being a bad story or it's, or it's not. But I think we got to be careful about the facts that other people see and adopting those as our own. us to the last question, question number five, which is, is there a more beneficial way to view these facts? And this is the idea that our story informs our actions and our actions inform our results. And if you don't like your results, then you need to go back upstream and reconsider the story that you're telling yourself about the facts, because that's ultimately driving the actions that drives the results that you're getting. And I love this part. In a, you know, in a way, there's a little bit of bad news because you got to do some work here. But the good news is that you're not a victim of the results that you're getting, and you're not a victim of the one interpretation that probably at the beginning of this list felt like what was quote unquote true. You know, there are as many options of what to think as there are thoughts in your head. That's what the research tells us. And so because of that, you actually can choose to think something that's going to lead you to take the actions that are going to get the results uh, that you really want in your life or in your business. So I think just asking yourself that question, not is it right or wrong or true or untrue, but is it helpful and empowering or is it unhelpful and disempowering is a great way to think about it. I kind of think of the facts, and I probably use this example on this podcast, but like Legos. And they can be assembled into a variety of configurations. You could build a Millennium Falcon, you could build a house, you could build a bridge, but it's the same Legos that you're using. And I heard somebody say the other uh, night, two brothers grew up in the same house they had. Uh, both parents were alcoholics. And one guy was an astonishing success. And they said, why? They said, well, it's obvious. My parents were both alcoholic. And because of that, I didn't want that kind of life. So I doubled down and worked hard, studied, got a great job, made a lot of money, became successful. The other brother said, and he had a, you know, he was virtually homeless, had a terrible life. He himself was a drug addict. And he said, well, what do you expect? I had alcoholic parents. This is the obvious choice. Mm-hmm. Same fact set. They came to two opposite conclusions, but that's how our stories are. And we've got to pick one that's more beneficial. What's the one that empowers us and enables us to live a better life? All right. So to review the five questions that you can ask to expose your thinking so that you can generate better ideas, better strategies, and better results are question number one, what are the facts of the situation? Question number two, is my interpretation valid? Question number three, what do I assume to be true about these facts? Question number four, what do I want to be true? Question number five, is there a more beneficial way to view these facts? I think one of the important things to remember about these five questions is they all assume a point where you, the business owner, can ask yourself, do I want to move forward or do I want to quit? Do I want to move forward or do I want to bail? Or as the title of the book by Tracy Maylett and Tim Vandehey would have it, do I want to swipe? We're going to actually get into that conversation next after the break. Marissa, I cannot tell you how excited I am for your best year ever live coming up January 5th. Yes, I'm so excited too. I can't wait. Yes, this is the event that you would want to come attend. If you're just like, man, I want to look at how well did I do in the past, but I also want to set myself up for success to have, like we call it in the title, your best year ever. This is the event you want to be at. We have thousands of people coming to this event already. And you and I will be emceeing this event. Yes. So there's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of excitement to come join us to make it a great year for you. Now, in order for you to receive it, 
all you have to do is buy the full focus goal setting course and you get a ticket to your best year ever. Yes. And the best part is that that course is 25% off right now. So uh, you're going to get a discount and a ticket to the live event, which is normally $197. That's a killer deal. It's a killer deal. It's a no brainer in my opinion. Um, But definitely join us. It's going to be so much fun. January 5th, it's totally virtual. So no matter where you are in the world or, um, you know, whether you can get on a plane or not, don't worry about it. You don't have to, you can do this from the comfort of your own home and we'll be right there. Yeah. And just imagine having your goals already set for the entire year and a plan to execute them. Yeah. That's worth all the money that you can. And the best part, it's a free event for you if you buy the full focus goal setting course. Yes. All right. Well, we would love to see you there. So make sure to go to fullfocusstore.com and take advantage of this deal. We'd love to see you at your best driver live. Now it's time for that conversation with Tim Vandehey. Just a reminder, he's the co-author with Tracy Maylett of the book Swipe, the science behind why we don't finish what we start. And I'm pretty sure you don't want that to be you. Because I'm pretty sure of that, I'm also pretty sure you're going to dig this conversation. This is going to help you, the business owner, see how to go from stuck to complete and maybe even more importantly, how to keep your employees engaged for that also. Because if you feel stuck from time to time, I can bet your employees do also. And here's the thing. If they feel stuck, if they feel in fact disengaged, they're much less likely to help you achieve your goals. So the struggle you're facing, it's only going to get worse unless you get to the bottom of why people want to, as Tim would say, swipe. And that means really to bail, to quit a project that is not making the kind of progress you want to see. If you want to avoid that in your business, you're going to want to hear this conversation. What is a swipe? That's the logical first question. Um, so the swipe came about when my co-author, Tracy Maylett, and I, who's an organizational psychologist, he and I sat down at the be- very beginning of 2020, really before the world came crashing down because of the plague, and we're conceiving a business book. Uh, it was going to be the third in a trilogy that he and I had written that I'd ghosted the first two, and I was supposed to ghost this one. It was going to be about... The first two were about how organizations can get their people to engage. That's That was Tracy's field of specialty, is Tracy's field of specialty. And I'd become sort of an expert in it just by writing these other books. This was supposed to be about the other side of the equation. How do you get employees to choose to engage? You can throw all this stuff at them, but how do you get them to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to embrace this and not quiet quit or something. And we came up with this idea based on a lot of research into how technology has changed our brains and changed our behavior. In specifically in this case, that we are more likely to reflexively disengage from an uncomfortable situation because we've been we're so accustomed to doing it digitally. We're accustomed right. to, we've become accustomed accustomed to a reflex that says, well, if, some, if I screw something up or I don't like something in the digital world, I can just swipe my finger and I can move on to a different experience. And we've been so, become so conditioned by that we that we I don't think we believe we can do it in real life, but I think we're there's an instinct, a reflexive instinct that says that we can, that we catch ourselves uh, when we try to do it. The, the example I like to use, I do this all the time, is you, when, you, when you're writing um, longhand with a pen or a pencil on a yellow pad or something, and you make a mistake, and you find yourself just for a split second looking for the undo function. And I know everybody, I, everybody I have said that to has an, a laugh of recognition because yeah. we've all done that. Just, and you catch yourself and you you know, you know bunk yourself in the world. That's just stupid. And you go along with your day. But it's that reflex that matters. And so we, we apply that initially to... Well, that's kind of what's conditioned uh, workers, and I don't want to really, you know, bag on Gen Z or millennials, but more younger workers because they've grown up with the technology, whereas I didn't, we didn't, to feel like, well, if I don't like something, if I'm, if I'm uncomfortable, if I'm feeling self-doubt or fear or embarrassment or boredom, I can just bail, I can just quickly hit the panic button and move on to something else. And we thought, okay, well, there's a great metaphor, there's a great title, boom, concept done, let's write the book. And then partway through the process, we said, you know, this really applies to everybody. It really applies to not to disengaging from anything that you care about. And so it became a bigger book where we said, 
take the, the the sum total of humanity that has a tr- has trouble finishing something that they start, and you have a book that applies to everybody. Um, it still has a business foundation to it, um, but it does apply to pretty much anybody, I think. Well, to go back to the subtitle of the book, the science behind why we don't finish what we start. When we feel stuck or like we're in a rut on something, it it's a natural feeling. It's a natural response to to bail. It is, and that there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one is, you know, we are biologically um, designed to retreat from discomfort. That's just a natural human impulse. The problem, of course, is that when we're mo- when we grow, is when we're most uncomfortable. You know, I'm right. building, you know, thinking, you know, you don't you don't build muscle by lifting lightweight. You build muscle by uh, lifting until you ha- you hit failure and you're on the floor in a puddle of sweat. Um, it's not comfortable. It's hard work, um, but you know technology has made it. Once I won't, it's not fair to say that technology has caused this. I think technology has exacerbated it, um, and the and the, the research backs that up. And so, if you're you know if you're in a work situation, if you're in the you know, the work environment in an organization, um, what we found is that and you know and this is based on a database of fifty million plus. Uh, employee engagement survey responses that Tracy and I used in the research for this book, that people now are more likely to, um, to we, we use it as a verb, swipe away from a position, a responsibility that they don't, uh, that they're uncomfortable with, that they're bored with, um, precisely because technology is so much more pervasive now. It's, 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 it's not a, it's not a, 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 a cognitive response. It's a reflex. It's hitting the panic yeah. button. And only later on do we go, and we might, and we might feel the, the, the conundrum of it is we might feel relief in the moment because we're no longer saddled with those unpleasant emotions. We're no longer feeling embarrassed or um, overwhelmed or doubt, self, filled with self-doubt or filled with imposter syndrome. Whew, I dodged that bullet. Only two weeks later do we go, man, I wish I'd stuck with that. You know, yeah. just like a workout program or trying to write a book. I, you, later on, you, you're filled with regret because you didn't get to the finish line. So in a sense, being stuck is is actually uh, possibly an improved position because at least you're still in the game as opposed to having jumped ship. I think being stuck is a very strong precursor to swiping. It really is. Because if you're stuck and you feel like you're not move, not making any progress, if you're not moving, then there's nothing lost in saying – Forget this. I'm going to forget move it. To yeah. the next thing. So being stuck is is I, there's a, I'm sure a very strong correlation between the two. I think it's getting unstuck that's the key. Um, what you have yeah. though is at that moment a potential choice you can make when you recognize you're stuck. When the impulse to swipe comes over, you can say, "No, there are reasons I'm going to stay in this. Yeah. There are reasons I'm going to keep working at it until I get unstuck." I, I want to come to a couple of those you mentioned that there are some costs to swiping, uh, one of them bypassing or lost learning, mm-hmm. uh, lost personal learning, yep. stasis that you, you know, you just like never grow. And then finally, fatalism. Ultimately, it sours your whole sense of what's possible in the world. Tell us more about those three, that kind of unholy trinity. Well, you know, bypassing, I mean, like I said, we grow when we're uncomfortable. We yeah. grow during periods when we're challenged. And that's especially true in a professional setting. I mean, the nice, you know, the, I mean, the great thing about being in a professional setting over, you know, a personal setting, like I'm trying to write my first novel or I'm trying to get in shape, is there are consequences. There are legitimate sure. real world consequences for giving up and quitting. Right. So hopefully, you know, if those are enforced, you have reason to to not quit, to not swipe. But you know, I mean, if someone, you know, I I I, I would love to see a, a statistical analysis of the lost hours of learning and personal development that have come from the great resignation, you wow. know, um, yeah. you know, and I, and I, I, I'm, I have no doubt in my mind that there are many legitimate reasons why people walked away from their jobs, right? Poor pay, poor treatment, um, absolutely legitimate, legitimate reasons. But if you look at, you know, the, the subset of people who walked away because they said I'm bored or more likely, Hey, there's a better job over here. That's the, that's what we call the greener grass swipe, which is, mm-hmm. this is okay, but you know what, what's, what's over there is better. I'm going to go over there and check that job out. And of course the, the principle of wherever you go, there you are kicks in. You're probably yeah. going to bring the same issues that you had the first, with the current job to the new position. Um, 
But, you know, you have to wonder how much was lost in, in, in terms of people's individual development and what they could bring to an organization because they faced situations where if they'd applied some resilience, some grit, they would have grown and they decided not to do that. So the lost opportunities to grow, to deal with difficulty, um, the, the, uh, the stasis piece is just simply you, you don't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, you find yourself stuck. It's it's almost like life is on repeat. It, it's very closely related to fatalism in the sense that, um, you know, that you feel like uh, I mean, I mean, one of the one of the signal qualities of swiping is repeated attempts, uh, whether that's at work that that comes into play in, in the organizational setting in people uh, job hopping. I have a good friend, one of my closest friends who every six months he gets itchy feet I don't care what, how good a job he's in. He just can't keep himself from going, what's that over there? And, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and looking at, at leaving and it's like, dude, you're, you, you're making no progress. You're just, you're on a treadmill. It's crazy. So you really, you really don't make any progress. You surrender growth. And then the fatalism is really an attitude, which is I can never do this. I will yeah. never get to the finish line. I will never make it. It's, it's, you know, it's a self-defeating negativity you know, that really comes down, really becomes a, a, a withering self-judgment. I'm, you know, I'm not a writer. I'm never going to be fit. I'm not a musician. Whatever it is you're trying to do, again, in the professional setting, I'm never going to get anywhere. I'm never going to get promoted. Um, you know, I'll never be able to move past a certain level. Um, you know, it just be becomes an attitude of I don't have what it takes. It becomes a, a character judgment that really limits anything you could ever do. Yeah, I guess there really is learning happening. It's just in that instance, it's the wrong kind of learning. You're learning. You're learning helplessness ultimately. By you are. Smart. I mean, that's a great point. You know, the one of the things that we that we discovered in in researching the book was that um, you know mastery. I mean, part of part of repetition and part of growth and part of um, taking on things that are beyond our our current capacity is develop the development of mastery. Right, whether it's you know the, the there's obviously debate over the whole you know, ten thousand hours thing, which I think has been pretty much debunked. But over time, with as you as you go up in in diff levels of difficulty, you do acquire mastery. What we found was that when you try things again on the whether it's in your home, personal life or your professional life, and you continually swipe away from them as soon as you hit a point of difficulty, the only thing you master is swiping. You become really, really good at bailing on stuff. That's yeah. the one that becomes your 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 hallmark skill, uh, which is why it becomes a self a self perpetuating cycle. Joel, you you hit on um, something that's that's critical, which is you talked about that decision point. Um, that's what we call the crossroads, and where this comes into play is we talk about the manager, the role of the manager. Uh, Tracy and I did a lot of research, had a lot of data on this that we didn't really get into in the book because it's it's too huge a topic. But the, the role of the manager in the organization, in getting people engaged, in getting people to not swipe is critical. And the reason it's critical is because of that decision point, that crossroads. You're going to re everybody reaches a point where the emotions build up because the swipe is driven by emotion. It's driven by uncomfortable emotion. So again, self-doubt, fear, embarrassment, boredom, um, dis disillusionment, whatever. And if you're not aware of it, you're most likely going to swipe. You're going to run away from that emotion. You're going to, you're going to mash that eject button and um, get away from that, from that negative feeling as fast as you can. One of the reasons that we know managers are a key for this is because in, in the big data set that we have, um, individual contributors whose managers were engaged in the work were more than 200% more likely to engage themselves. And even more revealing, um, individual contributors whose managers were not engaged were seven times more likely to say, I don't want to be here. I, wow. I like this. This, this is so. The manager has a huge role, and, I, and when it comes to the swipe, that role can be on an individual level, helping that individual, that that employee, identify. Look, this is you know. I've noticed that when you are ready to give up on a task, or when you say, "I'm going to leave this job," and you've said it five times in the past, and you haven't done it yet, but I, you, I can see it building up. This is what happens. This is what your self talk becomes. These are the emotions I see in you. And they can help that individual look past those immediate intense emotions and intense impulses and see, okay, what would happen if you, if you accepted those and kind of got, got past them 
and kept going, what would be what would lie ahead for you as opposed to saying, I'm going to bail on all this? And that's really the key is, you know, we we are the only creature that has the ability to look into the future and predict the future. So looking ahead and seeing, OK, you know, if I don't give into this, this you know, there's opportunities for growth, for developing new skills, et cetera. The manager can play a gigantic role in that ability in, in that ability of the individual to do that. That's why coaching and mentoring is so important here. When, when people ask, how do I not swipe? I say one of the first things is have somebody who can call you on it, who can flag, who can say, I, I, I can see your red flags are popping up, you know, and you are, um, you're, you're getting close to that point, that boiling point where you're about to give up. That leads pretty naturally into magic, what you call magic, that there's mm-hmm. like meaning autonomy, growth, impact, and connection. That's what's needed in an organizational context. How can small business owners ensure that employees are having that meaning, autonomy, growth, impact, and connection? Well, that's the tricky part, you know, because that that's the formula for on the leadership side. Uh, you can't make, you know, you can't say to your employees, you will have meaning at 2 p.m. today. Sure. Yeah. Um, now we put it on the calendar. It's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. We have, a, we have a meeting meeting and, and you know, growth will occur at 345 on Wednesday. <laughs> there are obviously a lot of things that that the, the leadership can do to um, to build some of those organ- those those factors, those five factors into the organization organically. And these are not hygiene factors. You know, these are they, these are bigger than, you know, having a foosball table in a really nice break room. Those, you know, don't do anything. The, the data shows those do nothing to improve engagement. Um, you know, meaning is is really about communication. It's about storytelling. Um, you know, I've always seen this, the, 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 the CEO's role as the chief storyteller. You know, what's the purpose behind what we're doing? Making sure that every employee knows this is about more. I mean, you hope it's about more than just sure. yeah, than just showing a profit. Um, Connecting them to the vision of the organization. Exactly. It's exactly right. Autonomy is, I, th- I think, pretty straightforward, which is in some ways it's pretty straightforward. In some ways it's complicated because not everyone wants the same level of autonomy. Um, but the idea is the, that the, the opportunities are there in how the organization is structured, in how the workflow is structured, and how teams are built, in how teams are led, for people to be as autonomous, as self-directed as they choose to be. Um, you know, not, every, not everyone's – the same level of autonomy isn't going to appeal to every employee. Some people are going to be the, the ferociously independent self-starters and some aren't going to be. The point right. is that a level of autonomy that each individual wants is available to them. And yeah. you know, they'll, they'll kind of self-select. Um, the growth piece is about not just about advancement, but about growth in terms of everything from resilience to communication skills to, of course, skill sets and knowledge. Um, the opportunities have to be there. So organizations can put opportunities in front of their employees to, and hopefully these are more than, you know, the usual, um, you know, uh, training seminars and things like that. Right. Um, that's, again, that come back to mentoring there. I'm, I'm a huge fan of mentoring and coaching. I think mentoring and coaching are fantastic tools to foster growth. So that's really about putting the resources in place. Impact sort of ties into meaning. And where it's about storytelling and communication. Let's go out into the community. Here's what's happening. Here's how your work is affecting patients at this hospital. Here's how your work is affecting uh, the rebuilding of, of infrastructure in a town that was devastated by a hurricane. Here's how your work is making insulin more affordable and so on. Um, you know, it takes things out of the, out of the, uh, the theoretical and makes them real. And then connection is really about the tribe. Connection is about uh, the the family inside the organization, uh, fostering opportunities to get, you know, not just to get to know people, but to truly become tribal, to have each other's backs, to understand each other, to communicate. Um, there's We haven't really dug into this as much as I think probably we will in the future, but there's a, there's a strong um, DEI element to that, um, you know, a, a more diverse uh, workplace, a more equitable workplace, a more inclusive workplace. All of those things have to factor now into connection. Um, but you know, th- those those are those are pieces that are part culture, 
The, I think the, the connection piece in particular is about culture. Um, autonomy, I think, and growth are specifically um, more about uh, initiatives that organizations, that organizational leaders can put in place to make sure people have opportunities to be autonomous and opportunities to grow and learn. But, you know, the, the, again, the data back, back those up. And by the way, magic was an accident. Uh, there, it wasn't really intended to, it wasn't, it wasn't copy fit to be that word. Those just turned out to be the five elements. And nobody believes that when I tell them that, but it is true. That's funny because it does, it does capture the whole range and, and it's a nice, easy and very applicable word for it. And I think, yeah, and I, and I think when, you know, when you have those, those in place, you know, there's, there's no, there's no panacea that says that, that, that prevents swiping in all uh, or being stuck in all consequences or in, in all contexts. I mean, um, you know, there, there's no um, program that you can put in place. This is a hundred percent of the time. If we have these five magic elements in place, nobody's ever going to quit. Nobody's ever right. going to quiet quit or bail on a job in midstream, but it does make it much less likely because those factors uh, are what help are proven to uh, encourage people to engage. The other side is, you know, why is getting employees to engage, to choose to engage? And that's part of the reason behind why we wrote Swipe, because it's about identifying the the, the factors of why uh, the factors behind employees saying, you know, no matter what you've thrown at me, I'm choosing not to do this because something is making me, something is pushing me beyond my, beyond the comfort level that I can bear. All right. Let's, for our last question, let's go back to that, that moment of decision. You're the small business owner. You're feeling stuck. You have the choice to press on to do something creative to get yourself unstuck or to swipe? How do you counsel a small business owner not to swipe themselves? Well, I think it, it, it starts with looking at your past. The two most predict, strongly predictive factors in a swipe are faulty motivation and faulty expectations. So first off, why are you doing what you're doing? Mm -hmm. um, why are you in business? You know, is this something that is the, are, are the reasons that you're in business still valid? Uh, when you are they still the same reasons you had when you started? Um, you know, why did you start? Why, why did you get started in the first place? Is that motivation still there? And is it still something that that powers you? Um, I think just as important are expectations. Faulty expectations have a great deal to do with why people swipe. Expectations of what their results are going to be, and expectations of what the experience will be like. So. Uh, are your expectations congruent with reality, basically, in both of those areas? Um, you know, were you expecting to be farther along? You're three years into your business where you were expecting to be farther along than you are. Well, why? Was that expectation based on data? Was it based on the accounts of uh, peers who may have been in business uh, 10 times longer than you and who had the same can relate their experience? So after, th after three years, I was here and it sucked. But I did this, this, and this, and I was able to yeah. grow, you know, five X in the next five years. Um, you know, the, the so that's part of it is understanding your motivation, your expectations. The other aspect of it is is to look at the the emotions that have, and the self talk that has surfaced in the past when you've been tempted to quit something. Doesn't necessarily have to be your business. Um, you can relate this to the business, but the the impulse to swipe is identical in the brain, regardless of the circumstances. It's still discomfort, unpleasant emotions, reflexive hitting of the panic button. So in, in the past, whether it's related to your business or not, it could be related to a personal goal, like you know training for a marathon or trying to play an instrument or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, when you reached that point in the past where you did walk away from something, you hit the panic button for on something that you really wished in retrospect you had stuck with, what were the red flags? What emotions were coming up? What was, what was your self-talk like? The self-talk is very revealing because we can be very cruel to ourselves and very harshly judgmental of ourselves. And if you understand that, if you understand what red flags popped up in the past, and you can identify them, write them down. Okay, when I start to see these coming up, when I start to feel this way, when I start to talk to myself in the mirror in the morning, and I say the following, I'm getting really close to hitting that eject button. 
when you have when you when you know those things, you can I you can put in place. I tell people have a swipe plan. Have a plan in place. Whether that involves talking to a coach or a mentor, involves taking a break. If it's a if it, if you're running a small business, maybe it's um, getting some business education, getting some tools, going to a seminar. Uh, maybe it's a book you can read, talking to a couple of peers. Um, you know, anything that'll take you out of that that um, that uncomfortable pre-panic moment where you can say, okay, level off here. And I can maybe I can push past this because we can all we can push past it. People do it all the time. It's just we are so programmed to by biology and now by technology to give ourselves that moment of temporary relief by bailing on something that makes us uncomfortable that we it's very easy to do it. Only afterwards do we and inevitably it's the regret is inevitable. It always is. It, it, it's, it's, it's a, a pattern that we've seen over and over again. So really, that's, I think that's really the key um, to, to getting past that is looking at motivation, looking at expectations, understanding red flags and having a plan after those red flags pop up to say, OK, how am I, I going to get past this? Have a plan in place before you reach the point where you want to swipe. Tim Vandehey, thank you so much for being here. Joel, thanks, man. It's been great to be here. I was glad Tim closed on the concept of mentorship and coaching, because the truth is one of the reasons we get stuck, one of the reasons we feel the psychological need to bail is we just don't see what the next step is. We just don't see how to break through. And one thing I know for sure, when you don't see how to break through, there's someone in your world there's a resource available to you. There is a path. You just need someone to point it out. One of the easiest ways to gain access to that kind of mentorship and coaching is actually just through a book. Mind Your Mindset by Michael and Megan is a great resource if you're looking to get unstuck because the whole book is designed to basically help you challenge the thinking that got you stuck in the first place so you can find a better path out. Another resource, of course, is Tim's book, Swipe. If you want to understand the psychology of why you or maybe your team feel like quitting from time to time, this book will crack open that dark box that is your thinking and show you exactly what's going on in their minds and enable you to make a different decision, to really come at it from a different point of view and therefore make the progress that you're really after. If you want to go deeper than that, I recommend scheduling a business growth coaching call with one of our teammates here at Business Accelerator. It's just 45 minutes. It'll help you clarify your goals, reveal the obstacles that are in your path, paint a vision for where you want to take things, and get you clear on that path. It's just 45 minutes and it will deliver a world of good. And it is free. If you go to businessaccelerator.com slash coach, you can book that call right now. Businessaccelerator.com slash coach. And that's it for another episode of the Business Accelerator podcast. If you've been to the end of one of these podcasts before, you know this is where I give you the pitch to do the Business Accelerator coaching call. I just did that a second ago. I still think you should do it. We help busy but growth-minded small business owners just like you scale yourself and your business so you can win at work and succeed at life. It's what we call the double win. And if you're interested in experiencing that for yourself, go to businessaccelerator.com slash coach. That's businessaccelerator.com slash coach. That's it. We'll be back next week with more conversations to help you accelerate your business. All right, Ken, do you know what's happening right now? No, I have no idea. <laughs> well, first of all, it's your favorite time of year, finally. It's, yes! We can act, okay, like I give approval for us to actually listen to Christmas music now that Thanksgiving's over. Jingle bells, jingle Yes. 
Uh, it's our holiday sale here at Full Focus. Oh, and we have better. some really awesome deals going on. Especially if for some reason you missed out on our Black Friday deals, this is a great time to get your planners and everything for the new year. And so we have got uh, some awesome deals. So we've got ten percent off site wide. Um, we've got where you can get a free um, your best year ever vinyl sticker pack. For any new planner subscription that you sign up for. So these are great to put on things like your Stanley mug. Wow, you already put them on your Stanley mug? And if you got them if you got them on Black Friday, these are different. These are these are gonna be new for the new year. Uh, but they're great for that. You can also put them on your planner, you can put them on your computer, wherever you want them. But they're great. Good. They're great stickers. We're also doing 25% off courses. Let's go. So specifically, we've been talking a lot about our goal setting course. Um, and this is going to be $75 off and you get a free ticket to your best year ever live with your purchase. So you definitely don't. It's huge. like a crazy, crazy, crazy deal. So you don't want to miss out on that. And your favorite thing, which is our certification program we're doing $800 off of it. And this is a fantastic time of year to get in. Um, we are actually going to be doing a beta group for our new digital planner. Yes. It's going to be fantastic. Crazy exciting. So anyways, go to fullfocusstore.com now shop our holiday sale. Make sure to use the code holiday 10 to get all these deals and more.